Nobody's killing anybody. I saw my favorite overheard in L.A. line ever, and it applies here. What is it? Someone asked, what do you do? And the response was, I make vibes. (laughs) It's the best thing ever. So good. Let's make a vibe today. I'm down. You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. It's a Friday, mm-hmm. Fry-yay, and I am in the mix with my dear friend who is currently working on releasing a dream pop rendition of the old Chiquita song. Naya! Hello, Vic. You ready? I'm ready. You ready for all the off-brand nerdery you are about to embark on with me? No, but I want to be. Okay. Okay, let's get into our rigorous analysis of whoever did this. Mm. The episode written by Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess and directed by Tim Van Patten first aired on a cold, dark November 10th, 2002. HBO synopsis, after an aggressive team of reporters lowers the boom on Uncle Junior, his lawyers try a new strategy— Ralph has some fun at the expense of Polly and his mother, but soon winds up with his own family problems. Meanwhile, Tony again finds refuge at the stables. This episode could also be called A Tale of Joe Pantoliano's Emmy Mm. in Three Acts. Definitely. We open on a trial. Junior's trial. We learn that the presentation of evidence is now complete. The judge is ordering the jury not to discuss the case. Yeah, right. <laughs> Junior Melvoin and Larry Berezi are all present. Why Larry? I don't know. I thought that was weird, too. Probably in case Junior needs something repeated back to him. Ha ha. But seriously, if you recall back in season one, Larry was implicated in the trial as well. He was one of the doors that the feds knocked on. That's true. So, the prosecutor has a logistical problem to discuss. Calling a witness out of order. In general, Naya, Mm -hmm. judges like to know who the witnesses are, how many there are, to get a broad strokes understanding of how they'll help tell the story of the case at hand. Usually, one side argues their case and examines all the witnesses first then rests, and then the other side does the same thing. But because of a little thing called scheduling, which we know Mm -hmm. doing this podcast, sometimes expert witnesses can only do certain days or have conflicts, etc. Witnesses have to be examined out of order. Say a defense witness testifies before the prosecution rests his case, for example. Seems simple enough, but many times witness order is used tactically, Mm. ace-up-sleeve type shit. And it can throw the other side off and create problems. And it can be theater. And that's only natural since the courtroom is one of the best venues for theater. Have you ever sat in on a trial? I haven't. Have Have you you served on jury duty? No. Never? Never. Not once in your life? No. You haven't even been summoned? I don't think they know. Don't I have to... I don't want to get in trouble and, like, have them all come after me now. Don't I have to register or something? Do you have a California driver's license? No, I got to do that. Do you have a New York driver's license? I have a expired Massachusetts license. (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah, that would help. Yeah. Okay. Once you have a driver's license and you're registered, then you're on their roster. I'm just afraid to take the California test again. I can't just go in and get a new one. So you redo the test. So you have an expired Massachusetts one. That picture of you. Yeah, I look like a teenager, tiny orphan. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I'm just afraid I'm not going to pass. I think I have to take the written one again, and I don't test well. Have you gotten a ticket? Oh yeah. With an expired license. No, this is new. So I'm driving very well lately. Okay. Have so, you sat on a trial? Never, but I have been through jury duty. Interesting. So notice that we see a diverse jury, something that might not bode favorably for Junior in this instance. Mm. Lots of possible axes to grind, right? Mm-hmm. White mafioso, uh, diverse jury, they're going to want to throw his ass in the can. For sure. And that brings up the whole subject of voir dire or jury selection, which is an issue all by itself. True story. I have a spec script. It's more like a treatment, actually. Okay. Somewhere about voir dire and the chess match between two attorneys to build a favorable profile for their case. And as you can probably imagine, only me and maybe some of the other people that listen to this podcast that clamor for more Sopranos courtroom were the only ones that would get excited about this. So it died on the vine. I love it. But it exists. One of the lawyers actually in the treatment is barreling and intimidating and omnipotent like LeBron James, <laughs> whereas the other is smooth, silky, and live like Steph Curry. Curry, way downtown! Bang! Bang! Junior missed that early bird special, and he's pissed. The term early bird special yes. got me nostalgic. So I did a little digging, okay. as you can probably imagine. You would. Early bird specials became a thing back in the 20s, but took off in the late 60s Interesting. and into the 70s because social security rose with inflation, so more senior citizens were flush with cash and had nothing to do. Eating out was a natural pastime. Mm. The term, though, got a bad rap. It's associated with elder yeah. and or impoverished people. Mm. And via a rebrand of sorts, depending on how you look at it, it was absorbed or usurped by the term happy hour. Oh. Which sits better on the conscience, I guess. Yeah, interesting. Okay, enough with the American pastoral over here. Back on Junior. I love the positioning and geometry Mm. of him and his entourage walking out of the court building. They're in between columns of the ionic variety. Each one of them, statues in their own right, on display in a museum, took me back to the past opening. Remember Carmela Mm -hmm. and Meadow? The sequence of them at a museum together right after she broke it off with Jackie. Yeah. The frame here conjured up feelings of that and vibes of that episode. If you, Naya, Mm -hmm. walked with an entourage, what would it look like? Describe what you're wearing and what kinds of people would be beside you behind you, around you. I mean, I'd hope it looks something this badass. Or maybe just like a full Filipino mafia vibe. Like just five Filipino dudes with like the most stoic faces and like Dior suits. That'd be weird. Tattoos? Yeah. You remember when like Gwen Stefani had those like Harajuku girls? Yeah. They would, it would be like my bodyguards, like these Filipino dudes. On exit, Junior is immediately accosted by members of the press. Mm. Testimony revealed joint fitters, 401k funds were being misappropriated, and Junior had something to do with it. 
Junior was skimming from other people's pensions. Crazy. Can't emphasize the quality of the choice to use the joint fitters union as opposed to, say, the bricklayers. Yeah. Although bricklayers, I can't help myself, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Although bricklayers make things much easier in terms of basketball metaphors. <laughs> I have a special basketball metaphor for a listener who requested one from a certain team. I love it. Okay, so Allison Pack, who should be in your fucking entourage, Channel 6, gets Junior swooning. Always a sucker for a pretty face. He really is. This Junior. Think back to the nurses earlier this season. But as soon as he turns around to greet her, I hope you sing this for me, he's met with a boom mic, which is the perfect metaphor for a phallic cock block. (laughs) Cue the music. When the boom hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's a cock block. (laughs) Do you think it was an accident? It was, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. That was an accident. But it's comic relief. Yeah. Right? The outcry is just too good. I loved that. Roll tape. As you've been shot, he got hit in the head by a boom. Allison reports it was seven steps. The difference physiologically of falling nine versus seven steps, Naya, there's a science fair project poster board waiting to happen. Like, I'm serious. If I was Alicia Keys... And I was writing Fallen, okay? <laughs> like, yes. based on falling seven steps in love yeah. versus nine steps in love, the difference could have lasting consequences is my point. Yeah. Okay? You could potentially like have... Like, how far in love did she fall? <sighs> Closer to nine. On stage, Naya, mm-hmm. or with any kind of press, have you ever been attacked by the elements? Mics, cables, or whatnot? Yes. I've fallen off a stage before. The mic, it was one of those mics that you like have to line up and click on, which I am not good with. So the song started playing and nothing was coming out. So I kept walking closer to the front of the stage. And then I was just so focused on, I just like stepped off the stage. While you were singing? No, while I was trying to get the mic on to sing. So it was like a mic check. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't in front of the audience. Um, No, it was in front of an audience. Shit. Yeah. But it was fine. Then you just like get up and... It's pretty common to fall or trip on stage and you just keep going. I mean, Justin Bieber, you ever seen that clip? He just throws up. No. Oh, there's a huge YouTube compilation genre of just artists falling or throwing up on stage. I gotta check it Lady out. Lady Gaga has some awful falls. And she just literally makes it like as if it was meant to happen. So she'll just be bleeding on the ground and then she'll just like keep going. It's pretty badass. Incredible. Yeah. I met a soccer mom who's a dancer, one of Celine Dion's backup dancers. Incredible. And she broke her foot on stage in front of 4,000 people in Las Vegas and had to get up and keep going to the end of that song. Yeah. But then she, the healing time took like six extra weeks because she got up and finished the thing. She like fucked it up even more. Yeah, the The show show must must go go on. on. Like Carrie Strug, remember that uh, Olympic gymnast? She landed the vault with and broke her ankle, but she still landed it. Landed it, and then it caused more damage. Long term damage. The things you do, man, for glory. Okay, next, Tony brings Carm to see Piomai. Carmela immediately notices the goat. Mm -hmm. Naya, the God fearing, religious, sacrament abiding Catholic immediately notices a symbol of the Antichrist and calls it out by name. Totally. Very Eckhart Tolle of her. 
<laughs> I see you, Beazelabub, and I raise you, Carmela fucking Soprano. She's wearing pink, which yeah. denotes the Holy Spirit, mm. and its dissension to earth during the Pentecost. She ready for the toboggan handicap? Yeah. yeah. That's the old name for the toboggan stakes, mm-hmm. which is a race that takes place the first week of March in Queens. My dad and grandfather have had some racehorses. There? Um, not, I don't know if actually they race there, but up in uh, Saratoga. Okay. In upstate New York. What was the name of your dad's horse? High Talent. And there was another one called Raptor. They, were, they didn't do very well. Also, oh, I wonder if he was asking about the horse for financial reasons or for general welfare reasons. Any thoughts on that? Who? Tony. He's like, is the horse ready? Is he asking because he wants to collect? No. Or is he asking because he loves pie? I think because he loves pie and hopes she's going to pull through. Also, have you ever been to a horse race? Yeah. Since I was little, we used to go every, every summer. Have you ever been to one of the Triple Crown races? Um, probably, but I don't remember Kentucky, it. Kentucky, Preakness, or Yeah, it's a weird. Belmont? It's a weird old classic. I don't love the whole concept of racing horses, but they're so beautiful and, you know... The skill level is pretty insane. Did you catch where he said she likes it when you rub her muzzle? That mm. reminds me of a future dream sequence episode where that line comes back. Oh, back pocket. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even thinking about the future episode. I was thinking about the past with that tie-in with Tracy. Mm, that she was a beautiful sure. creature. She was a thoroughbred. Carmela gazes at the horse with the same wonderment as she did the paintings back at the museum with Meadow mentioned moments ago. Something about standing in front of a gentle giant of a horse makes you emote. Very Uh, majestic. I can testify to that. Mm -hmm. You obviously can testify to that. Note the color palette. Mm. Indulge me on this. Carmela's pink against shades of green on the background. Reminds me of a print I saw in an art book of Charlemagne Hmm. on a horse meeting the Pope. It's the exact same color palette. Interesting. And the church is pink. In the painting, symbolizing Carmela, simultaneously a sinner and a saint. Wow. The print is by a guy named Antoine Verard, for those interested. Then next, the framing of Tony and Carm together within aperture of a stable. American Gothic with a New Jersey twist over here. Totally. That's so on point. Pi walks right over to Tony Carm points it out. What did that mean to you, that the horse goes to Tony? Did it mean anything? Yeah, I mean, I think the, it's the, still the big play on he's empathetic towards animals, and the animal obviously feels a bond towards him. But I still can't really figure out what the horse symbolizes or who's who, like even the goat and the horse and who's Tony and Ralph. Like, what does it all mean? Yeah. I have some ideas, but... Tell me. Because I don't know. To me, the horse has always been the Trojan horse mm. for the death of Ralph. Interesting. It's a device that inside of that horse is the key to killing that character off. Yeah. But if you see a metaphor there, I will. I well, would love to hear it. It's kind of this whole devil and devil thing that I think is taking play. And even like the goat is... We learn the goat is the best friend of the horse, Right. right? So you can't have evil without good, right? right? And 
the devil was a fallen angel, right? We think. Mm -hmm. So why, if the goat is evil, is it the best friend of the horse? So I just, there's like this weird connection of like, is the horse represent innocence? And, you know, Tony really wants the horse to win. And this is his connection of trying to be good. But at the end of the day, the goat evil prevails, like the evil of Tony. Because everyone says Ralph is the devil, but like, so is Tony. Mm. You know, there's like that, that too. But I don't know. I think it's just a nice thing. I also think it's cute that Carm sees that connection because in Italians, I don't know all of them, but we don't really love animals the same way other people do. We're a little superstitious. We like animals, but not like as loving pets. Like we wouldn't go sit in the barn with our horse. Not like Tony does. No. So I think it's also cute that Carm notices it and thinks it's endearing versus like, oof. I don't know. I hope to figure it out through this explication with you. Let's see. Roll tape. Go to see her race. She busts her heart to win. The emotion in his voice when he says that almost makes me cry. Yeah. Even to this day, just saying it out loud to you. In a single exhale, he's lamenting the strivers and the ones that push against the odds to finish the race. There's a lot of intent in that expression of his. Okay, technique. The camera locks on Pi's bloodshot eye. Mm Mm-hmm. Cut to Junior's bloodshot eye. Neither eye was particularly bloodshot, but the word blood and shot together Mm. fires synapses in me almost to the same degree as the words Perth Mm. and Amboy (laughs) spoken (laughs) together. Technically, this is more or less a standard match cut, but I wonder if the eye-to-eye cut was an homage of some kind. If you think of one, let me know, and if any listeners know of that technique being used on eyes i'd love to hear about it yeah um that's why i think the horse is the i don't know i feel like the horse is god but then god i don't know it's interesting wow the horse is god mm-hmm. but god can't die i know that's why it's i get i get roadblocked all the time but i do I, if i had to like commit to something i think the goat is tony Tony is the goat. Hold the thought. Tell me if you still think that when we get to the fire. Mm -hmm. The doc says that Junior's out of it. He scored low on his Folstein. Folstein is also known as the mini mental state exam. It's essentially a screen for dementia. For a man his age, he could have been working on a dementia for quite a while and the blow to the head tipped him over. You mean like Alzheimer's? That's one form of it. That's why we want to keep him here. This made me ask, can dementia be sudden? In a nutshell, I found that, yes... It can be sudden for someone at Junior's age, but other risk factors would also be determinative. Severity of the injury and genetics, for starters. Mm. Naya, what scene about trauma, loss, and hospitals would be complete in The Sopranos without a dose of comic relief? Enter Janice. We gotta get him into the city. Columbia Presbyterian head trauma unit, the best. This as the crestfallen doc exits the frame. I know, I love that. Cut to Vito, polishing. I'm just going to leave that there. Ralphie is convinced that Polly told Johnny. Ralphie is onto him. Mm -hmm. This came out of the blue, right? He hasn't been perseverating about this until now. Mm -hmm. It just comes up. Ralph also looks a little unkempt compared to how we normally see him. Did you pick up on that? I did. Also came out of the blue. He's got stubble. His hair's a mess. Something's troubling him. For a guy who normally looks like a million bucks Mm -hmm. 
and this being his last episode and all, it seemed like a curious send-off. So he's replaying in his head who was at the birthday party where the Ginny Sack joke was told. Ralph puts it together. It was little Paulie, the witless fucking nephew. He told Paulie, Paulie tells Johnny, fucking telephone game like high school girls. This game, by the way, dates back as far as the 17th century. Oh my God. So little fucks like you and me have been playing this game since the 17th century. Gossip never goes away. Eating Bazzini pistachios while playing cards. I saw that. Had you ever heard of the company before this? So, as you can imagine, (laughs) I went down the fucking rabbit hole. It's been around since 1886. And there's some cool trivia here. It started in Tribeca, ended up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I needed to say that because I wanted to bring Billy Joel back into the fold again. Bazzini peanuts have been sold, Naya, at Yankee Stadium since time immemorial. Mm. The inaugural game against the Red Sox in 1923. Interesting. Awesome, right? Yeah, fucking pistachios. Fucking pistachios and a bunch of other nuts too. (laughs) Ralph drops an animal reference that would make Tony cry. That party was the only time I ever mentioned Shamu's fat ass. Shamu Naya was the name of a killer whale that appeared in SeaWorld shows during the 60s. Relevant because the 60s is the window of the prequel movie. Mm -hmm. Shamu could get referenced in the movie, is my point. (laughs) If they're trying to get cute with us now. Right. Okay. Ralph decides to play a phone, telephone game of his own. Is it interesting to you why he's still brooding on this? I feel like he's just doing it to gas up his... Buddies. He seems disheveled. I'm Why sure. does he give a fuck? He's earning. He's making money. Because he's restless. He's doing coke. Johnny Sack hates him. Tony's mad at him. He doesn't, you know, he's like, fix this to, to Ralphie. And Ralphie doesn't really know what, what to do. So I, coke makes you brood? It makes you restless and paranoid. Okay. A little bit. And a little disheveled because you don't sleep very much. And you don't really have an appetite. Hence, he's just eating pistachios. Okay. See? That's what I think. No, this is the... He's on a bender. You're unlocking the genius in the writing that I can't see. He's a little stressed out. He's not the favorite. That's why he's still trying to earn and suck up. Ralph calls Greengrove, Mrs. Galtieri, the improv on this guy. She claps to answer. Hand clap technology. Love that. Okay. A quick FYI on that also. I'm not a fucking infomercial here, but because anything with sound gets my juices flowing. Totally. The clapper, as it's commercially known, is a sound-activated electrical switch. Have you ever had one? No, it's so cool, though. It's tuned to the frequency of what two claps sound like. That's a sound frequency. It is famously problematic, though, with certain dog barks Ah. and reacting to sounds from a TV or music over speakers. Love it. Enough with the QVC corner over here. Hello? Mrs. Marianucci Galtieri? Yes. Hi, this is Detective Mike Hunt, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania Police Department. <laughs> you have a son, Peter Paul? Oh my God, what happened? He's all right, ma'am, but I'm afraid he's in a little trouble. We found him in a public men's room in Lafayette Park. I don't know how to put this delicately. He was sucking a Cub Scout stick. What? <laughs> no, it's a mistake. <laughs> ma'am, I wish that was all. Uh, but I'm afraid we had to have emergency surgery performed upon arrival at headquarters after discovery of a small rodent in the rectal passage. Oh, my God. A gerbil, ma'am. Last week, Naya, we talked a lot about masochism. Yes. This is fucking 
This is... Home plate masochism, Mm -hmm. okay? It's a lot going on. I thought about looking up the efficacy of this for you so that we could talk about the people that you know and the (laughs) gerbils and the, the wax on balls, but I think it would have been too much for my capacity to digest. Have you heard of... Yeah. Living creatures being shoved up I think so. orifices? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of the gerbil variety or another variety? Uh, I've heard about, like, the gerbil world, but I don't know. I haven't yet to see any, like, porn with gerbils. But I know there was, like, a rumor that, uh, what's that guy's name? He's old. Richard Gere. Mm. There's a rumor that he had a gerbil stuck up his ass. <laughs> I don't know. We end on hysterical laughs, more Ralph cackling like a hyena, like last episode, a little bit of symmetry. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a prank call like this? Not like this. Where you were scared shitless. No. But here's the thing. Why is he... I mean, I think he's doing it just to gas up his team and he's down, so he just wants to feel... have a moment. But I don't think he really thought this through. How is this going to end for him? If what happens next with his kid and stuff didn't happen, what are the repercussions of this? Do you think Tony would just scold him and say, you know, why did you do this to Polly? Well, we'll get to it when Polly comes yeah. up, but it's hearsay. Polly has no proof. That's so true. I think he co- I think he That's survives true. it. Yeah. I don't think anything happens. I think he continues to fucking push people's buttons though. Mm-hmm. Maybe he gets into an altercation that eventually gets him killed, but I think he walks away unscathed if we're in an alternate universe. Yeah. Fair enough. Calls. Okay, cut to Junior sipping orange juice. Symbolic, Naya. Yep. That death is imminent. Going back to the Godfather, right? Mm-hmm. Sal grabbing an orange at Connie's wedding. Definitely. Michael had him killed for betrayal. When Tom Hagen is having dinner with the producer, Jack Waltz. Tony holding the orange juice outside the newsstand. Yes. The dinner with Jack Waltz, who looks very similar to Phil Leotardo, by the way. A stack of oranges are arranged on the table. Mm-hmm. Later, Don Corleone is at a fruit stand with oranges. Um, I was watching clips of The Godfather. That's where this came so from. good. Someone's wearing an orange tie in The Godfather, too, I feel Yes. Like. And finally, at the end of the film, Vito, Don Corleone, is cutting oranges and puts a rind in his mouth to play with his grandson moments before dying. Fast forward all the way to the end of three, where Michael dies with an orange in his hand, and it falls to the ground. I bring this one up because there's also a goat in that frame. Interesting. With Michael. Devil. Death. And in this episode, the goat returns prominently. Interestingly, the production designer for the films, the Godfather films, a guy named Harlan Lebo, has said that oranges provided a nice contrast to otherwise dark sets. Hmm. Nice piece of evidence of how color palette and presentation matter and can inform and inspire and generate all these theories and conversations. Definitely. Okay. Junior shifts from orange juice to red jello. Of course, made me fucking wonder. <laughs> Why the fuck do hospitals serve jello? Another question for your grandfather, maybe. Think about that for a second. No sweet green, no pressed juice, no matcha tea, no vegan cauliflower steak fucking jello why turns out naya jello contains anti-inflammatory properties which accelerate healing and improve sleep who fucking knew (laughs) 
also the core component of it's, Jello, yep. gelatin. It's horse snails. It's it? horse hoof. Mm-hmm tie into the show but also it releases a thing called gastric acid which improves the gut bacteria ecosystem really finally it facilitates regular and healthy bowel movements jesus that's why jello's fucking served at hospitals so interesting besides being fucking cheap as hell and and a part of a horse Good so you know. learn something new right? every episode. Go get that jello. Of Pata Bing. What is your jello flavor of choice, Naya? I like the pudding packs. The chocolate I'm with, with the white swirl in the middle. I'm with you. Jello, I don't it's mm, I don't love jello. Junior says Tommy Formacola came by to visit. There's a series, Naya. Mm. Tommy Formacola spends time with patients holed up in recovery rooms. You can call it Tommy Formicola cares. <laughs> I like that. Tony lets him know that Tommy's been out for a while. He's dead. Yeah. Junior, with the weekend at Tommy Formicola's over here. Did you ever watch Weekend at Bernie's? No. Okay. So the reference. But wait, it's the son of Tommy, not senior. So we are kind of getting a glimpse that Junior's sort of thinking about fucking with the court. Mm-hmm. to try to get a mistrial. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that plays out. Tony tells Junior that they said you flunked your Holstein or something. I don't know. Tony butchers the Holstein test that we just mentioned a moment ago and references the beloved soprano spot for the first time in the series. Holstein's, yeah. right? It's now 75 years old and still going strong, by the way. Amazing. Great Junior line. This is Xanadu compared to that courtroom. Xanadu, of course, is a Mongolian city from the 1600s formed by Kublai Khan. It means a special place of great beauty, luxury, and contentment. What's your Xanadu in real life? My place of extreme contentment. Extreme contentment, beauty, and luxury. My home. Your home? Alone, yeah. Alone. In your high thread count sheets. Yes. Mine is a chairlift on a snowy day. Really? Yes, that's my Xanadu. Interesting. Do you ski? Snowboard. Snowboard. That's so, I wouldn't have ever guessed that. Mm. Northern California. I guess that's true. I can see that. Um, I actually, believe it or not, can skate too, or could skate. Really? Yeah. We should go. I want to go snowboarding. Let's do it. Yeah. This winter, 100%. Yeah. We'll mic up that car ride so we can make a podcast that out would of be it. That'd be great. So it'll be Sammy Asks Naya yes, Questions. I love it. I'm milking this for all it's worth, Junior says. Is he going to feign incapacity on purpose? Methinks. Let's see how it plays out. Tony's mind, he starts playing Dancing with the Stars in his mind. Yeah. Okay? He gets an idea, calls Melvoin, mistrial, in the form of headaches, blurred vision, dementia. That's the play. That's the out. Okay. Cut to the kids playing in a yard. We have no idea who they are at this point. I love that setup. Yeah. That it's presented to us that way. Pay attention, viewer. Be better, viewer. Expect more, viewer, right? We're not going to just tell you what's going on. Right. They're playing Lord of the Rings. Again, I roll from Naya Cummin, but I'm going to proceed henceforth. I love Lord of the Rings. Oh, you love Lord of the Rings? I love fantasy elf shit. Okay, but not Game of Thrones. No. I mean, I did not like Game of Thrones. I just realized I have a life, and I can't just keep waiting for these eggs and dragons and... White Walkers or whatever the fuck they were. Did you love uh, Led Zeppelin? Yeah. 
Robert Plant is a huge Lord of the Rings guy. I can see that. His lyrics in a lot of his songs are from the Lord of the Rings, Misty Mountain Hop and so on and so forth. But Lord of the Rings is all about the ring and like man being evil. Well, man being greedy. And I love Viggo Morrison, so. Yeah. (laughs) Who doesn't? I know. Um, (laughs) They're playing Lord of the Rings. Gondor Mm -hmm. is mentioned. The greatest realm of men is what it's described as. So I thought about what would be the Gondor in like Soprano's world. New York City would be the Gondor of this thing of ours, but mm-hmm. if you're strictly looking at New Jersey as a whole, North Caldwell maybe? Probably. Definitely not. <laughs> Perth Amboy. Yeah. <laughs> I needed to say it again. There's a bullseye painted onto a box that the kids are playing with. Symbolic, however tragic. Yeah. There's a bullseye on all of us when you really boil it down, right? Mm-hmm. Proverbial arrows flying everywhere. The kids are playing with real arrows. I know. It's kind of fucking unreal. But totally possible. He was supposed to take him to the range. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm just now coming to grips with Nerf darts. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Ralph is in the bathtub scrubbing his toes. When I Need You by Leo Sayer is playing in the background. To me, it sounds very Elton John. Yeah. Turns out, Classic. Elton's song Little Genie has the same melody. How did you find that out? Looked it up. How the fuck else do I find anything out? How the fuck can you have a song with the same melody and not be... I don't know. ...in a feud with the artist? It's not... I mean, it might have been changed enough. It's all subject to interpretation, right? Mm, or a musicologist will or tell music, you. Or, oh, or need to be. Or a judge. So, yeah. This woman who screams, she's got such a sad, worry voice. It's his housekeeper. Yeah. Forget her name. Inez, maybe? Inez, yeah. Sounds like Inez. It's the same woman that we heard screaming about Payamai a few episodes ago. She bangs on the door screaming again this time. Justin is hurt very bad. Justin's Ralph's son, of course. Mm -hmm. The onion layers are slowly peeling away. Naya, this sequence... So beautiful. ...has always stayed with me from the very first time I saw it. The panting, the running... The camera locked below his torso. I know. GoPro style, before the GoPros existed. I know. The shadow of his body casting on the grass. The way the sunlight is bouncing off the lens of the camera. The sounds of his hyperventilating. Then when he's facing the camera and running into it, the way he's gritting his teeth. Yeah. It's an opera in motion. It's so beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know about you, but we're, I'm feeling for him for the first time. Well, it's also the first time you see him actually afraid or not sure how to handle a situation. Not in a position of power or ego or control. We see that an arrow went through Justin's upper right chest. Ralph sees the blood and turns around to run inside to get help. It's just a great, intimate, appropriate camera choice end to end. It feels real. It's all natural light. There's no real... Absolutely. You you literally feel like it's like a documentary of what's going on in that moment. Thousand percent. You could cut the scene at the beginning and you could cut the scene at the end. It could be a short. And it's crazy because in The Sopranos, some of the shots are so stylized, but somehow this can sneak in and you don't feel like it's too different from the next shots or the shots before. Absolutely. Yeah. Almost reminds me of Hemingway. Mm. The shortest story ever written. I think he's the one who's in the Guinness Book of World Records for it. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. That's the story. Arrow. This is very Hemingway. Definitely. Okay. 
Cut to a hospital waiting area. We see a Minute Maid fruit juice vending machine, no doubt selling orange juice, continued symbolism at every turn, tucked away neatly in every corner. It's not looking good. Have you, Naya, ever been the recipient of that kind of news? It's not looking good. Mm, I think so, but I think I don't remember when it was because I blocked it out. Oh, yes, with my dog, yeah. But the vending machine reminded me of the Melfi dream. She yes. had a vending machine. Yes. And what did they decide? It was like, you can't see what's going to happen next. It was like Her hand a, gets stuck in it, right? Yeah. So the vending machine, I feel like, has some, some symbolism to Great Ralphie. tie-in. Yeah. That was the episode where she gets raped. Mm-hmm. Do you think, because there's this whole, like, biblical thing, like a fallen angel shot out of heaven, mm-hmm. the whole thing. I also just, I mean, what an amazing acting. I cried this time watching it with Ralphie. He's so good. Totally. So uncomfortable. Totally. No oxygen to the brain for five minutes. That's not good. What are the implications of that? I wrote down. Turns out six minutes is about how long the brain can, quote, live Mm. after the heart stops. But around three minutes, lasting brain damage becomes likely. Again, I did like a, like explain to your five-year-old little research on this. The brain needs oxygen to metabolize glucose. Mm -hmm. Without glucose, there is no energy. And if there's not enough energy, there's not enough fuel in the tank to drive the car. That's the reason why not getting oxygen to your brain fucking matters. Yeah. Okay. What are you fucking doctor now? What are we going to do? Ralph stares down the kids and parents. Naya, I hope you love this band. I think you do, but I hope you do. Um, I had got into a huge love fest about it with Rob Eiler. Okay. Ralph stares down the kid and parents. Cue, Calm Like a Bomb by Rage Against the Machine. Of course. I met Zach De La Roca at a cafe in L.A. So cool. And all I said was, what's up? Because <laughs> What's up? It's what's like, up? Yeah. The fact that I said, what's up to you and not all the other nine people that are around here yeah. means that I know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Respectful, right? Totally. I haven't said what's up since like 12th grade. It's weird when you don't realize it just comes out. It just came the out. The shit comes out. What's up? Yeah. You know? Like, has anybody said what's up to you in 2019? No. Exactly my point. I think so, no. I walked up to Zach De La Roca and, I, and my high school self said, what's up? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Isn't that awesome? I, and I'm normally super introverted. I would have fucking ducked under a table. Yeah. But I was like, no, man. Oh my God, yeah. That's him. Tony unsympathetically says to Ralph, it was an accident. He feels sorrier for the kid than he does for Ralph. Thoughts on that? Like he just hates Ralph still. Maybe he's thinking about that dad being him and that kid being AJ. Always messing up, but always being somewhat remorseful. I don't think yet. Not yet. That's in the kitchen, I feel like. That's in the kitchen, but the, the, the maybe, kid, the maybe kid who did it, that family. Oh, yeah. Like that could have been me that would be awful. in the hospital with AJ. Yeah. That's true. We meet Ralph's ex-wife, Ronnie. I've said this before, but I love how the show just inserts new life, new characters without setting it up for us on a nice bed of roses. We're constantly being asked to figure it the fuck out and piece it together or go play Uno. (laughs) Soundbite. No, nothing's ever your fault. I should never have let you near him. My son. The night before he has to go to your house, he can't sleep. Ronnie, don't. Son of a bitch! You bitch! Please! Please! Stop it! Honey, please! You bought the bow and arrow, you stupid cut! You don't die like this! Nobody talks to her! Look at her! This is nobody! 
We were just fooling around. Just fooling around? Stop. Well, stop. Not a mother of the year move. I mean, I don't know. Your kid's still young, but I think eventually boys want to play with things like that. And she thought he was taking him to the actual archery range to shoot it responsibly. But she seems she seems pretty tough, too. I just didn't expect it to be him or her giving him the gift. I know. Well, I mean, Ralph hands Jackie a piece, right? Yeah. But she's the one? She should have known better being married to Ralph and having a child with him that taking a sleeping bag with your son and carrying the archery, there might be trouble to the dad's house. Yeah. It's fascinating to me that she's the one that gets him a quiver of arrows for Orlando Bloom's Legolas summer camp. (laughs) The kid who did it and his parents freak out. Imagine being them. No. Fucked, right? Yeah. They're thinking they're next. Yeah. This scene, Naya, you mentioned it at the beginning, but this scene is checkbox number one for Joey Pants' Emmy for this episode. Unbelievable. It really makes me understand like or at least the closest I can to not having a child like what that would feel like just totally at any any moment things can go from normal to really bad and just that you can see him just break down it was incredible the range is exceptional Tony restrains him violently Mm -hmm. an unprecedented level of rage given the circumstances he's like trying to kill him there yeah it was a lot note the red blood or cut on Tony's wrist yeah, I saw that. Did that come from something in the show prior? I don't know. You noticed it, though, I right? I did, because I saw your note on it, and I saw, it was very visible. Very visible. Ralph breaks down. He's overwrought with emotion in a way we haven't really seen. Yet Tony's still throttling him. I know. Insane. Cut to Corrado in the hospital. Melvoin is scheming for a mistrial. Note NASCAR in the background. Tony and Melvoin are running circles around Junior, trying to get him to buy into this incapacitated mental state scam. (laughs) How to get charges dismissed with prejudice is the issue of the day. Having a charge dismissed with prejudice just means you're having it dismissed permanently, as opposed to being dismissed without prejudice, Mm. which just kicks the can down the road and leaves the door open. I can sue you again if I want to. Error, mistake, or misconduct are the most common ways to have a criminal case dismissed. So they're right on point. Tony says all you got to do is act. Ubats. Crazy. Have you said that word? Yeah. This year? Mm-hmm. Love it. As distinguished from Ugats. Yeah. Okay, which we're going to get from Feech Lamana coming soon to a screen near you. Crazy like a fox. Junior says, this is likely, Naya, a nod to a detective drama in the 80s of the same name, but the expression dates way back to the early 1900s and was first really popularized by the humorist S.J. Perlman. Interesting. Okay, a note on Mel's muffin basket. (laughs) So proud of this damn basket. Yeah, but the symbolism is like muffin top. That's what I got. Like, the you know, fat rolling over the waistline. That came to mind for me. Bobby's holding the basket. I get it, but it felt disconnected. Yeah. I mean, I think Bobby just always says the wrong thing, but he thought he was, like, giving him a compliment. Like, this is such a beautiful basket. And the lawyer was like, yeah. The lawyer was proud of it. He was very proud of it. I was just wondering the whole time, who the fuck sends muffin baskets 
as a... I think Italians send fruit or meat or... Yeah, charcuterie board or something. Muffins? I know. Cut to Roe goes to see Ralph in the hospital. Big question for you here. It's nice. Big of her, right? Mm -hmm. Considering what, what he did to her. But interesting, why do you think she went to the hospital to see Ralph? They cut it off pretty badly. Yeah, I mean, I... Would you go? I mean, this is where I really realized how strong these women are. And, like, they're truly mob bosses in their own way. She's—and also they're true mothers, you know? It reminds me of these, like, biblical female figures that still do the right thing, even though they've been ostracized or, like, called whores and stuff, like Mary Magdalene and things. And I think she just does it because she knows it's the right thing to do. And she also completely understands, like, losing a son. You know, it was— it was. I thought it was a really nice moment. At first, it was random to me, but also just seeing how Ralph apologizes to her, which you don't see many of these guys apologize it's to. The women. nicest thing he's ever. It's the nicest he's ever been to a woman. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. It was a real one eighty for him for me, and also you know, it cuts to her being like he's going to be a vegetable. So she, in a way, she's doing it because she knows she has to. In a way, for herself, I think she does it for herself. I don't think she's really there to console Ralphie. But I do think she's doing it genuinely, too. It's, it was a nice moment. And I just was like, damn, these women are so strong. After all that shit he did to her, she still shows up and is there to just say, I'm sorry. They're way stronger than these guys, I think. She says, Justin's going to be all right. Yeah. You'll see. And then cut to Roe with Carm. Yeah. The second interesting use of a match cut, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Soundbite. He's going to be a vegetable. Carm does the sign of the cross. She's blessing herself, asking for support in her suffering, remaking herself in Christ's image, marking herself for Christ. These are all the things you do when you do that, right? Well, yeah. Warding off the devil. Mm -hmm. But then she gossips about Artie. It's like a knock on wood. Like, don't say that. Oh, I'm going to do the sign of the cross. Like, if you're like, oh, Naya, your album's not going to sell. I'd be like, oh, please let it sell. Yeah. It's kind of like to revoke what you just said. Right. So she's trying to like, oh, don't say he's going to be a vegetable. Yeah. But yes, she's protecting herself. Like, I didn't say it. She does all these things. Superstitious. Absolutely. Yeah. But then she gossips about Artie. Yeah. He and Tony are on the outs, we learn. The fake waves to Artie once she's spotted. So good. She's effectively waving away the intention of the sign of the cross in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's a small thing, but the show is an assemblage of small things, little hypocrisies. Yeah, their own little telephone game, too. It's funny. Note, Elodie's still hanging around. A form of collateral? A prisoner, perhaps, Naya? Mm. Until Jean-Philippe settles his debt? Song is playing in the background. It's called Sincerely by the Moon Glows. The Irony is perfect. The name of the song is Sincerely. <laughs> Nobody's fucking sincere here. Rose's lack of sincerity with Ralph and Carm's lack of sincerity with respect to Artie. Totally. Cut to the nice exterior shot. I love this for some reason. Yeah. I fucking posted about it twice. Yeah. The nice exterior shot of Junior's house. I don't ever recall seeing it before. Yeah. You only see the inside. And the lime color. Mm. The choice was symbolic to me. A key lime pie in North Jersey. A reminder of Boca. Mm. And to Junior's better days totally. with Bobby. And the pie totally that got smacked in her face. I also feel like I've never, like you said, I don't think I've ever seen an exterior of his house. Never. And we also 
come to find out he's going to spend a lot of time there. Yes, on house arrest. Mm -hmm. The actual address of this house is 380 Highland Avenue in Newark. Bobby and Tony are testing Junior, making sure that he's ready for the prosecutor's questions. But Junior's fucking around. First question, what is today's date? A blonde with big tits and a hat full of Viagra. Yeah, cute. Fuck around. Because when that government shrink gets a hold of you, you better know how to fake this. I could do it in my sleep. So he's not amused by Tony and Bobby's laughter. He says the word, scumbari. 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 Am I saying it respectfully? I think so. Scumbari, yeah. Or disheveled mess mm-hmm. definition. Shout out to Stevie B. Slang on YouTube. Why? That's that's how I found it. He's a guy. His name is Stevie B. He breaks down Italian slang. And he breaks down Italian slang. Love it. He's got like a thousand videos. (laughs) And I found this video. Perfect. Scumbari. I love it. Junior remembers brother Eckley, Mm -hmm. as do we now, back in the exam room when Junior's talking about Livia's Virginia ham. If this doesn't work, Bobby says, they'll go after a juror. Put that in your pocket. Junior's anxious. What if nothing works? Sounds very Livia-like. Mm-hmm. Recall back to her exchange with AJ. It's all a big nothing. What makes you think you're so special? The bell rings, and that means we get a greatest hits line from Junior. Uh, fucking Grand Central Station. I mean, can you imagine just the amount of stress he's under at his age right now, just dealing with all this stuff? Do you think so? Yeah, I mean, even subconsciously. I think it's a lot to handle. And his health is deteriorating. So it's like, I think he, he's just, I mean, I, I would lose it at my age right now with all this pressure. Even if I was a mob boss for 30 years, it's just, these are, that's why he's like, what if nothing works? You know, he's having these cracks of yeah. fear. I mean, I, I can't imagine the stress he's under without even knowing it. It's like subconscious. Good point. Okay, the bell rings. Svetlana. Yeah, It's Svetlana with Junior's corrupt nurse who's going to testify as to Junior's incompetence. That's the setup, mm-hmm. right? Janice and Svet, I just liked writing that, and I equally like saying it. Yeah, Svet. Svet, they exchange pleasantries. Svetlana, I've been wanting to talk to you. I bring nurse. I don't come to see you. I should never have taken your prosthesis. This awkwardness, of course, is left over from Janice stealing Svetlana's prosthetic leg, like the glove Gary Payton would do when he caught an opponent sleeping. <laughs> that one was for listener Megan from Seattle. Ah, you're a boring woman. Janice's histrionics afterward are classic. So good. Cut to the sounds of bells tolling. Religiosity coming up. We're on Ralph. Religious color palette, which reveals... Yep, it's Father Intintola. They've never met. Yeah. At this point, Naya, this is a slowly moving, deeply churning episode. The bells are ominous. Bagpipes are starting to play. This thoughtful reveal of Father Intintola after a longish absence, right around the midpoint of the episode, conveys to me the balance between good and evil, Mm. and it's teetering. Ralph is surrounded by imagery of Christ, a crucifix, a priest looming above him, perfect setting for a confession, mm-hmm. a place for non-judgment or repentance, but Ralph is unable to confess. Why? Because 
I mean, it's very intimidating, especially a lot of people turn to, like, priests or go to confession when something really bad happens. So I think he feels slightly guilty that he's not ready to confess. Or if he is, he wants it to be good because he hasn't been a good Christian. But I don't know. I think he doesn't confess because he doesn't know how. He doesn't know what he would say to God yet right now. Instead, Father Intentola prays. Mm -hmm. Ralph breaks down in prayer. This is checkbox number two for Joey Pant's Emmy win for this episode. For the first time all series, we have, to quote the Rolling Stones, sympathy for the devil, Mm -hmm. right? Note that Rolling Stones' lyrics are all throughout this conversation between Father Intentola and Ralph. The actual song, though, isn't used. Mm. Cut to Soprano House. It's morning. Birds are chirping. Tony's in a robe. Ralph is donating 20,000 to Rutgers in Jackie Jr.'s name every year. Father Intentola for the win, right? Totally. Carm is wearing a Columbia shirt. A subtle way to diminish Rutgers, perhaps. Yeah. Or a social commentary that 20K buys you a meal card at Columbia. (laughs) We learn he asked Roe to marry him. She said no, thank God. Why do you think he asked her then and there? Because he's 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 clawing for loss. Yeah, he wants to repent. He he said, "I'm a changed man." You know, to Tony in the next couple scenes ahead, like he and it's too late. You know, he feels like he's trying to do the right thing and make amends and penance. And what's your general temperature on the guy in your life that says, "Take me back"? (sighs) Have you ever gotten back together with somebody? Yes, just to hurt each other a bit more. We weren't we weren't done. Hurt you first. Carmela is rifling off the chatter. Mm. Then AJ comes in. Clearly, they are just happy to have him around. In the face of what they just saw happen with Justin. Justy. Mm-hmm. He's dieting. AJ is. The lifetime of dabbling with diets and trying to stay ahead of being a muffin basket officially begins. See what I did there with I the did. tying back to Melvoin's gift? Then we get a moment that I had a hard time with in preparation for this. Might cry now. I'm going to try not to. I can't recall being affected by it in this way in the past. It's certainly possible. But Tony messes with him, then hugs him like he never wants to let him go. Mm-hmm. Carm looks on, moist eyes. Tony pulls tighter, trying to absorb him, mm-hmm. shield him. From the outside world, I cried when I watched it this time around for obvious reasons. First time I've watched it since being a dad. And the way Tony sits back down and holds it together by snorting or exhaling, magnifique. Magnifique. I know. It says so much without even knowing if he's conscious of what he's doing. Because you really can't protect your children completely anymore or ever, you know? Ever. Yeah. It's very relatable, very relatable feeling. It's a feeling I get right now when I let my son go down the hall. Yeah. I kid. (laughs) Open mic night over here. (laughs) 
I have a question. When Carmela says, I know what you mean about Ralph. Yeah. What does that mean? That he's like off? Because she's like, I know what girl you mean. Girl talk. You know, it's a great like, question. I, I should have thought to ask you that. They, there's girl talk about Ralph. Yeah. So he's dead now. He's going to be dead. We'll, we're going to get there. But the girls, what I mean by that is Carmela, Janice, whenever they do their girls' dinners, Ro, Ro must occlude Carmela in yeah. on some of Ralphie's shit, right? And Nothing also, sacred. Tony hates him, I think, because she's like, I know what you mean about Ralph, mm. but, you know, he's going to Father Phil. He's donating. He even asked Ro to, like, she's trying to, you know, not defend him, but be like, he's trying to change. But do you think she knows about his proclivities? Probably. Right? I don't know. I don't know if Ro would say that. I don't know. Girls girls talk. I love that she made him a big breakfast. Like, yeah. they were just trying to spoil him. It was him. a great scene. Yeah. It was a great beat. Solve everything with food. Cut to the back room of the Bing. Ralph comes to see Tony. He looks like a disheveled mess again. Mm-hmm. Has he done something? Is he conspiring over late nights to do something? His face looks red, almost like he's been punched in the face in a tussle, likely from crying, mm. though. He hands Tony an envelope. Always the consummate earner, Naya. I know. Then he starts to get sentimental. Tony's thinking, get me the fuck to Perth Amboy. <laughs> Remember the last episode when Polly tried to get sentimental? I know. But it's a little unsettling because here we're talking about a little boy, not a mom in a nursing home. Ralph's really shaken up. So much so that Tony drives back from his mental trip to Perth Amboy to get the fuck out of this encounter and gets up to hug Ralph. I love the awkward, panicked hesitation, though. The look in his eyes. Mm. Covered by the sheetrock and plasters union, right? Mm-hmm. Tony's talking about healthcare. He's asking because he doesn't want to have to pony up. He's not asking out of empathy. Do you see that? Yeah, I mean, I think... Is this going to cost me money? Yeah. Or he's like, well, the healthcare is going to cover it, right? You right. Know, like, here's my... Family's not going to have to kick in yeah, for like, the fucking good... Ralphie fund here, are we? say something positive here, maybe. Is he, though? I mean... It's awkward as fuck! Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, your insurance is going to cover it, right? Do you think Tony believes him? Like, that these are real tears and... Tony wants to get the fuck out. Yeah. Tony's like, I can't do this. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have my own panic attack. Yeah, also think about everything he's known, learned about him in the last couple episodes, asking Janice about his sexual proclivities Mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like him. No. As Ralph sniffs and weeps, Tony's looking at Ralph like he's a diseased animal. Yeah. Then comes the awkward timing and telling of Tony and Valentina. The worst possible fucking timing. I know. Right? Yeah. Couldn't be worse or more awkward. First the money, then a girl. Carmela was right. Mr. Empathy over there. Tony tells her to go see Pi ahead of the race. This, Naya, is an example of be careful what you wish for. Crazy question. Mm-hmm. Is Tony somewhat responsible for setting in motion what comes next? Was this statement to Ralph a catalyst? Well, when I watched this this time, I always wondered why Ralphie went on this tangent after Tony talks about Valentina of like, well, if I had a girl like Carmela, remember he has this kind of like moment where, you know, I think it was a subconscious dig at Tony after just telling Ralph about his new guma. 100%. So he's kind of making this weird dig at Tony like, oh, you're cheating on this amazing wife without really saying that. So then Tony retaliates with, why don't you go see Pi? You know, go take your mind off it. And he doesn't even mention anything about Carmela. He doesn't even address that he just said something about 
his wife after Tony just confessed about his mistress. But I think that, like, rubs Tony the wrong way without seeing it. And I think then he just says, why don't you go see your, your horse? So maybe. Ralph is acknowledging that he's made some bad choices. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tony made one clearly great choice. And it is true, marrying the right person is 95% of everything, right? <laughs> and it's the one decision that Tony hit the jackpot on. Mm-hmm. If you look at Carmela and you look at you line up all the other options presented in the Sopranos world, she is by leaps and bounds the best, most stable, strongest, smartest of all the options. Totally. And Ralph is realizing that, and he's also digging by saying, look, man, you're fucking around with Valentina. Do you realize what you have at home? Yeah, I know. It's great. I'm so glad you said that. On the way out, Ralphie hugs Syl and Chris, but not Polly. <laughs> Ralph's pissed about the mole joke... But there's no way he knows that Polly thinks it was him that called his mother at this point, right? Like, why did they not embrace each other? I understand why Polly doesn't want shit to do with him because Polly's thinking it was him. But how's Ralph supposed to know that Polly thinks he did it? I don't think he knows, and I don't think at this point he cares. I think he's just—he's just being a dick to Polly. Yeah, or he just does. He just—he's leaving. He doesn't want to probably hug any of these people. He hugs the other two guys though. Well, they—that's a diss. They go out to. To embrace him, though, don't they? They they come to him. Yeah. Polly stands in the back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think Ralph knows he knows yet. I no, also think he, he probably just for, doesn't even remember he did it because of now all this situation with his son. Fuck him and his alligator tears. In response to that, Tony shows Polly the fat stacks. Mm-hmm. Kids in the hospital. Look how much he earns. He's digging at Polly. He's been bitching to Polly about Ralphie since the beginning. Yeah. Look how much he earns. He does it right here again, okay? Which sets up a great exchange. Polly knows it was Ralph, or so he thinks. Mm-hmm. Polly says he'll kill him if he finds out. Nobody's killing anybody. There's an ironic statement yes. that will loom over us in a few minutes. Great boss Tony, fucking Pope Tony the Infallible moment. If you can quote the rules, you can fucking obey him. You hear me? The point worth mentioning here, Naya, is that Paulie falls in line quick. He takes that, he swallows that pill, and he falls in line. Hang on to that for what I'm going to come back to with Ralph. Tony says he's going to pay respects to see Paulie's mom. Great managerial move. Yeah. He's never going to go see fucking Polly's mom. Yeah. But what does it do? It immediately softens up. Polly becomes like a little butter in Ralphie's fucking pan. I know. Okay? Almost as if Nancy were playing. Could play the music and Polly melts like butter. He knows Tony, exactly how to play these guys. Like a fiddle. Cut to Junior acting like a motherfucking champ. Who's the president of the United States? I'm tired. I want to go to bedroom. We're almost done. Who was the president of the United States? George Bush. And who was the president before George Bush? John Kennedy. You know where I was when he was shot? I was getting a haircut. The whole thing is comic gold from Junior. I'm proud of this segue, Naya, and I hope it gets a chuckle out of you. From Junior being an ass, we cut to... Valentina's ass. It's a good one. She and Tony are asleep. Phone rings. It's Lois. She's covered in ash. We learn there was a fire. Payamai survived, but she had to be destroyed. Too badly burned. Ouch. Use of the word destroyed. Yeah. 
powerful choice. Yeah. Right? Definitely. We had to put her down. She had to be destroyed. Yeah. Like Tracy. Mm-hmm. Tracy was destroyed. Tony goes there and insists on looking under the tarp. Seeing is believing, right? Mm-hmm. Would you yes. want to see something like that? Mm-hmm. I wanted to go to mortician school. I think there's an inherent curiosity yeah. inside everyone about what death looks like. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. And also if it was your animal or your friend or child, I think some people would want to or some people would really not want to. It's I think way I would have to. To satisfy your primal appetite? Yeah, or just get closure. As Pi is pulled away, you hear the goat. Mm-hmm. You see Lois looking hellish, I might add, turned away from the camera. Then Tony, red-eyed, he looks at the blown light fixture, almost as if he can see Ralph's fingerprints on it with his naked eyes. He's suspicious. Was this revenge for Valentina? Was this closure for not jacking that card game with Tony and Silvio Mm. back in the day? On account that he mentioned Tony's marriage to Carmela as being a turning point in his life, thinking back on the past. These are the things that go through a paranoid guy's mind. These are the things that would go through my mind. Totally. And to your point, he just suggested he go see Pi. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Just said it. Mm -hmm. Am I the catalyst for this shit? Mm Mm-hmm. Light bulb goes off, right? The metaphor of a light bulb, aha moment. That was Tony's aha moment. Definitely. I just made that up. <laughs> You're looking at me right now like the goat. Why? Yeah. That... The goat's looking at the camera. Tony's looking at the camera. They're telling us something. They're telling you something because you're really thinking about this. What is the goat saying to you in that moment? I think I'm just still want to know who the fuck the goat is. Is the goat God? Or is no, the goat, the goat is the devil. It is he's evil. He's mocking us. He's looking right at the viewers like, you see this shit? And Tony's looking at us too. Yeah. Because Tony is evil, but Lois, the one symbol of good in the scene, is looking away. Yeah. You I see that symbolism? That. Totally. Well, that's why and I it's think... it's a trinity. I always thought Tony is the devil and not Ralph. Ralph is just a lost prophet, in my opinion. And we, we are, it's misdirection. We think Ralph is the devil, but he's not. Also, the chains... You hear the chains, and then you see Tony with the chains later. Yes. Coming up the stairs. Good connection. Tony immediately goes to see Ralph. You've set the stage for this new venue. Mm-hmm. Note the artwork in Ralph's house. What fucking podcast would be complete if I didn't point the artwork out on the walls? We see a cathedral painting by the door. Mm-hmm. The lighting, the chiaroscuro, more ionic columns. Looks like Notre Dame, drumroll. You know, Quasimodo predicted all this. Who did what? <laughs> what happens next? Let's see. More art. Yeah. There's a red abstract piece in the background. I think that's the one you're alluding to. Mm-hmm. Blood. Tony tells Ralph Pye is dead. Yeah. Naya, did Ralph sell it? Did he sell the remorse there? Or does he give it away right there that he's guilty? It's hard to tell with Ralph. Okay, let's keep going. I'm going to ask you the same question again when we go through the whole thing. Okay. More art. A geometric-shaped piece in the living room. Three different styles, Naya, Mm -hmm. in three different rooms. Classical, abstract, contemporary. Ralph kind of slides right off pie once he starts stirring the butter in the pan. Pun intended. Camera cuts to a close-up of cracking eggs. Mm -hmm. More symbolism. 
eggs and the Sopranos. The close-up of the cracking is particularly impactful because it means that something's happening now. Mm -hmm. Not later, but now. What do eggs represent in Catholicism? Easter. Yep. Death. Rebirth. Reckoning. Yeah. Resurrection. Mm -hmm. Life goes on, huh? One day at a time. Here, Ralph thought he turned the corner away from this horse shit. But it's the point where I believe he fully reveals his hand to Tony. Tony's on to him. T goes right back to Pi. Lois says the horse was still alive. Looks accidental. What sick fuck would do something like that? Ralph's response, another tell. What sick fuck? Little Larry Berezi going on over mm-hmm. here. Sidebar. Sour cream's the secret ingredient in Ralph's eggs. Naya. I try that. I think I did too much. Yeah. I, it's I needed, gotta be a dollop. I wish she stayed alive one more minute to tell me no how much. A dollop. You think a dollop? What's I, a dollop? Like, like a, t- a tablespoon? Yeah. I think I did like two. How do you like your eggs, by the way? I like like the runny ones or yes. scrambled. Definitely gotta be runny. Yeah. Slathered over. I don't some. like the little white clear part sometimes. No, that's not I gotta good. move that around. Runny yellow. Yeah. No runny white. Yeah. Never runny white. Never runny clear. Tony explains the logic on why Ralph would do a thing like this. It's funny about God and fate and shit like that. The horse gets better when we take out 200 grand in insurance on the race coming up. Suddenly there's a fire. This sets up that Ralph is lathering himself up for the third and final checkbox on the recipe for a runaway Emmy win. Roll tape. Anthony, what are you, a fucking arson investigator now? Come on. They said it was an accident, right? Sidebar. This performance was so incredible that he won the Emmy. This is the kicker for me. I'm going to change my tune on Ralph, and you're going to be shocked in a minute. But he won the Emmy despite being dead for half the fucking episode. I know. This is 26 minutes of work. I know. And he won the Emmy. That's like Steph Curry dropping 50 at halftime and sitting out the whole second half. How's Corky Iannucci? You heard from him lately? The ghost of Corky Iannucci, can't help myself here, needs to be the title of a song sung by Zach De La Roca (laughs) and set to the melody of Rage's The Ghost of Tom Joad. Actually, wait, scratch that. I think Firestarter by Prodigy is a more on point for Corky. That's good. I like that. Tony takes off the jacket. He will have some eggs. Mm -hmm. Tony smells an Emmy and wants in on it too here. Okay? Tony will have some eggs reminds me of You Will Have Our Sausage. Yeah. Email talking to Christopher back in the Tennessee Moltisanti dream from season one, I believe episode eight. Ralph turns on him on a dime in that moment, immediately. We got lucky. That accidental fire was a, a, a bolt from beyond. The horse was no fucking good with the fucking colic all the time and the fucking builds. What are you talking about? She bounced back. This time. But each time it takes something out of him. It was all downhill from here. The way he's yelling. Yeah. He's basically digging his own grave. Yeah. Why is he doing it? I don't know. I think it's weird because when Tony changes his mind about the food, a part of me is like, is that when he knew? Like, is he just trying to intimidate him to stay longer and badger him? That was a choice to try to intimidate him. But also in Ralph, he's like, all right, like crazy dude, like stop accusing me of this. I thought maybe Ralphie thought he was in the clear. Uh, a little bit. Yes. 
But I think Tony's just settling in. And then he keeps baiting him, and that's when Ralph totally, like, insults him with the whole fat fuck shit. That's exactly what he's doing. He's baiting him. Mm-hmm. hundred grand apiece. Yeah. My kid's in the fucking hospital. I don't hear you complaining when I bring you a nice fat envelope. You don't give a shit where that comes from. Don't give me that look. It was a fucking horse. What are you, a vegetarian? You eat beef and sausage by the fucking carload. He's starting to bait Tony. He's not wrong, though. That's no, he's not, he's not wrong. But the truth hurts. Yeah. What is the truth? The truth makes you fucking swing. Yeah. Is he baiting Tony to hit him again? You've never hit a made man, right? That's the rule. You can't touch a made man. Is he baiting Tony to break that rule twice? I think that Ralph didn't do it, in my opinion, for some weird reason. But I think Tony walked in knowing, thinking that he did. So there was nothing that Ralph was going to do to change his mind either way. And I think Ralph is just trying to, because like, he says, even if I did do it, so what? It was a fucking animal. Like, let's just level up here. Like, who gives a shit? I pay your fucking money. What the fuck are you making this about the stupid fucking horse? You know, Mm -hmm. my kid's in the hospital. So, and those are all, like, justifiable, like, better realities, in my opinion. Like, I don't think Ralph's wrong. I think those are just genuine things that he's trying to just say, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And Tony already has an agenda in his head. He knows he's a sick fuck. He's baiting him. And I think Ralph is really reasoning with him in a way. And then he throws in some insults because that's what they do. And then it just totally triggered Tony to just be like, fuck this. The vegetarian line. Mm -hmm. You eat beef and sausage by the fucking carload. He lets it go on Tony with no restraint. The reason I'm bringing that up, I mentioned Polly falling in line. Ralphie goes off with no restraint. This is just after we watched Polly suck it up and take one for the team. The juxtaposition is intentional and powerful. He who bites his tongue, bides his time essentially, lives. Do you think he went to Ralphie's house knowing he was going to kill him? I think in some subconscious level, yes. Why are you going there? If you already know he did it, what do you need? Just well, you to think kid? he did it. You believe he did it. You don't know he did it, but you believe he did it. But that's what this whole episode's about. We don't know who, what, who did never what. Will. You know, did he really call Polly's... Polly's like Mother. there's all this hearsay and who did what, and we have to believe in faith. But I don't know. I think it's the same thing. He doesn't... Tony doesn't know exactly what he's going to do. I mean, in my head, it's like, would he just wanted an apology or him to admit that he did it? Would if, that have been en- enough for Tony? If he admitted full-fledged, hey, Tony, it was me, do you, you think, think, he, you think they would have had a fight? I don't know. That's, what do you think? I think so. I don't think in that moment, but I think Tony would have had him clipped cleaner. Yeah. He would have had it set up, and he would have had his hands washed from it. Yeah. But also, Tony's impulsive. He went straight there after, well, got, the, after the stables. Ralphie got super personal, throws everything but the kitchen sink at Tony. Pots, Eggs. pans, knives, Eggs. raid, yeah. a kick to the balls. Tony slams him to the ground with the weight of his body, bashes his head, chokes him, and then breaks his face. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, Tony would have had it done much differently. But some of that was Piamai. Some of that was also Tracy. Totally. Right? Yeah. And also just there's so much, like the Tracy thing, you could just see how much Tony has all this pent up. His sister, fucking everything in there. Then calmly, 
Tony washes right out of his eyes and puts the cleanup wheels in motion. Another Wednesday morning over here. A true pro, Tony Soprano is. But, Naya, keeping an eye out for open flamed stoves wasn't in the Don manual. Mm-mm. That in wearing shorts, apparently. Don doesn't wear shorts. True story. You know the flame was an accident. Oh, really? It wasn't supposed to be on. It was not in the script. It was ad-libbed, and James Gandolfini burned his hand, and they kept it because it worked so well. It also reminds me of Tracy. Her mom used to put her hand over the burner or some shit, right? Nice. But there's absolutely zero chance there's connective tissue there because the fire burner was accidental. I love it. But it's genius that you just said that. I love it. Do you think Ralph started the fire? I go back and forth. You said no, but do you still believe it? I think if he did, what would he have to lose to lie to him in this moment? Just be honest. Why? I mean, he's it's saying money. all this other fucking shit. Yeah. You know? Okay. What do you I think? think he, I think he did it. You did. I think he did it for the money because there's a lot of hints, but it could be classic David Chase misdirection. You know, always with the bills, this horse, you know, the broken this, the broken that. He was always bitching and complaining. And I kept saying it. Remember, he's bitching and complaining and he's bitching and complaining. At the end of the day, it's brass tacks about money between his relationship with Tony is all about the dollar. And the more he pays into this horse who is now, he said, even Tony said, I took his horse. Yeah. He's feeding Tony's beast. He's not feeding his beast anymore. Yeah. He wants to cut that shit off at the neck. So why does he lie about it? Just because he doesn't respect Tony? Because he can, you know? Maybe, it's, give a shit maybe it's easy enough that I can get a pass yeah. by focusing on the fact that my kid's in the hospital. I like that I don't really know. But. Yeah. Well, the ambiguity is the beauty of it and why we're talking about it all these years later. Yeah. Cut to Chris doing drugs, Love which it. is predictable at this point. Mm-hmm. He takes a three-minute nap or 30-minute nap Codename for Ralph, we learn, is Contractor, which made me wonder what would Christopher's codename be if Tony was talking about Christopher on a payphone? The prodigal son. Canopy? (laughs) Cuffs? Yeah. I like that I learned how to get rid of a body. All you need are surgical gloves and some bleach. Yeah. And and a fucking butcher's knife. And a a cleaver. Is that a cleaver or a butcher's knife? It was a cleaver. Yeah. Which was like a good, maybe that's where Chrissy came up with that title for his horror movie. Chris comes into the house, sees Ralph. Oh! Love that. Great sound and look. Tony says he found him like that. Whoever did this, title of the episode comes back again, should have happened a long time ago. You know, I believed this and wanted this for a long time, Naya. Mm -hmm. But in planning this and watching it with pot of bing glasses on, I have mixed feelings. Okay, tell me. Ralph was a formidable entertaining, wonderfully acted character. Agreed. And the performance in this episode was a capstone to a legendary performance. Yes. Who's going to top that is what I was kind of, what I kind of wrote in the corner. And we'll finish it when we do the grand finale. Richie's still my guy, but Ralph was dynamic and we got to see him go toe-to-toe with Tony. We never got to see Richie go toe-to-toe Mm-mm. with Tony. No, he Janice was... cut him off. Yeah, uh, Ralphie was the new school. Richie was the old school villain. Why doesn't T just admit to Chris that he did it? He knows. And I think he doesn't know because he's high on heroin. He's also a little paranoid, right? Can he trust Chris? Admitting a crime is one thing, but admitting a murder, even to your closest 
Yeah. Ally? Yeah. It could put you in a box. Are you watching Succession? No. One of the underlings has evidence on one of the higher-ups. Okay. And he's using that evidence as an insurance policy to fuck with the higher-ups. Smart. If he tells Christopher, that's, that's a way for Christopher to hold his feet to the fire. But also Chris is now there to help clean a fucking body, so he's kind of in it too now. Great point. Note that Chris Naya is a little more boss-like mm-hmm. with Tony ever since Tony said he was going to run exceedingly more things through Chris. Totally. A few episodes ago. If he's this in your face with Tony, makes me wonder how he is with the other guys. Flexing. Tony notices he's high, but also that Chris is on to him. I think Tony calls out being high in part to call out Chris and also get Chris to unequivocally help him. Yeah, agreed. And stay quiet about it. Yeah. That's that, his that's his boss move. Yeah. The scene where he's trying to light a cigarette is one of my favorites with the gloves. I love it. <laughs> they move the body to the bathtub to get him draining. Again, we're getting a lesson in how to dispose of a fucking body before breaking bad. <laughs> Chris admits snorting a little H. I love how disposing of a body turns into a series of bonding exchanges between Tony and Chris. Totally. So wonderful, right? Chris grabs a cleaver, goes straight for the head, and Ralph's wig pops off. Chris says he never knew. Tony says he did. Yeah, right. I know. It was such a weird detail, but I kind of liked it because Ralph was always just kind of an imposter in their mob world. The fucking Red Sea just parted. (laughs) You said the word that I could not articulate when I was making the notes. What? Imposter. Yeah. He never really belonged. He wasn't full Italian anyway. High five. (laughs) I love that. I fucking love that word. I was... It was so weird when I saw it and bizarre and campy and costumey, but then I was like, I guess it's so true. Ralph was always like this weird enigma to them all. Tony makes a joke about Chris's mom... Inappropriate, but he's so high on skag he can't even react to it. Yeah. Note the camera action on Chris cleaving Ralph's hands felt like the shining. Oh yeah. It was true horror. Then we get imagery of Tony on his hands and knees with bleach, then sweeping up trash, dogs barking, Naya, the regularness of life, mm-hmm. bubble baths in one house, draining blood of a corpse in another. Yeah. Did you know that this episode sparked an actual killing? I saw that in California. Yeah. These two sons killed their mother this way, and this episode was blamed for it. Insane. Yeah. Art imitating reality or reality imitating art. Yeah. Cut to TV. The last time I saw Paris is on. Tony's eating peanut butter with a knife. The Skip eating Skippy. So good. Chris, no shirt. Reminded of his scar, another hearkening back to the past. When Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess write episodes, they tend to tie back past episodes, however subtly. Note the pattern of the curtains in Ralph's TV room. Fucking reading Rainbow over here. Tony keeps emphasizing that he walked into all of this. It gave me a feeling for a minute that Tony wants to put it on Polly. Hmm. The reason I say that is because Chris makes a point immediately after to say, Polly was out of town all day, so it couldn't be him. We know that Polly's pissed at Ralph, and he said, I'm going to fucking kill him yeah. if I find out what he did. Part of me thinks that while watching that movie, Tony's thinking about 
how do I get out of this if there's evidence? Fucking use Polly as the sacrificial lamb is how. Interesting. Just putting it out there. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. It's a full moon. And usually you sacrifice things on a full moon sometimes. Zoroastrians over here. Mm-hmm. Ralph's head gets transferred into a bowling ball bag. Full moon. Mm-hmm. Spherical <laughs> objects, right? Then an actual bowling ball rolls down the stairs. Yeah. Why the fuck did Ralph have a bowling ball anyway? When did he know. have time to be in a bowling league? <sighs> I right? don't know. Right? That's, yeah, that was weird. Awkward detail. How's your bowling game, by the way? I'm a really good bowler. Like legit? Yeah. I don't look good when I do it. Like I look a little awkward. And well, that's part of it. You have to have the fucking have the swag. ergonomics. No, yeah. I just, I have weak wrists, but I, I can get it and hit some pins. Really? Yeah. They drive out to a cliff, throw the body in the water, and sink it. The limbs and head go, though, to Mikey Palmisi's dad's farm up in Slotesburg. Going back to season one. So referencing a killing in season one. Slotesburg is a little ways from New York City. Been through there once on the way to Woodbury Commons. Have you ever shopped in Woodbury Commons? I think so. The outlets. Yeah. Yeah, living in the city. Right around there somewhere. It's fucking frozen. Christopher yells. He can't bury the head. So they can't bury the bits and pieces. Mm. Christopher hotwires a backhoe, which production detail David Chase was adamant about having for this. Apparently he was creating a bunch of problems for locations and whatever, but he's like, I want a fucking backhoe in this scene. So when he asks, you get him a fucking backhoe. I love it. Tony drives it. Chris drops the bag in the hole, makes the cross like Carmela earlier, Naya, mm-hmm. symmetry. Tony glares at him, the devil, mm-hmm. looking at the cross. He says kick leaves over it and shit. I thought it was pretty sloppy coverage given that heads and arms and hands and feet are in it. I know. Right? Yeah. A little more... A little more effort. Effort. Yeah. Thank you. Tony explains that he learned how to drive a backhoe on his grandfather's construction site when he was 13. That could be a scene in the movie. Totally. If they wanted to. Can you, Naya... I'll be so impressed. Can you drive a backhoe? I cannot but i had to for a scene in a music video that we ended up cutting where i was driving that naked (laughs) oh final thought on this scene note that tony is lecturing chris like he would aj yeah son this is an episode with multiple instances of tony trying to maintain a grip on childlike figures in his life in an attempt to avoid outcomes like justin Mm -hmm. or worse his dad Ralph. Totally. Back at the Bing, late at night, we're getting towards the end. Chris says, Here's the problem, as I see it, with Ralph getting whacked. People could take it the wrong way. What are you trying to convey to me here? Friends of ours. Like it could happen to them. This is loaded as fucked. Yeah. I thought about this for a long time. Again, more boss posturing. He's trying to figure out the new lay of the land as far yeah, as he's concerned. Also the angle of how this is, you know, tell me what, how we're playing this. It could happen to anyone, he says. Christopher says to Tony, it could happen to anyone. Maybe he's thinking right then that it could even happen to him. Mm. 
Then they burn clothes and shower. Coming full circle on the purification of characters this episode, right? Mm -hmm. We've got Ralph in the bathtub earlier. Yep. First alive Mm -hmm. before his son gets hurt. And then again as his body drains of blood. Yeah. Cut to Junior picking up the paper outside his door. Agent Harris and friends are watching. I learned that Agent Grosso wasn't available, and that's why there's a sub in that scene. Oh, interesting. The guy's supposed to be Agent Grosso. Junior beelines to a neighbor's house for ice cream. He's acting, right? He's trying to put on a show for the feds? I think he is until he gets back home. And then he starts, his dementia starts to onset? Well, if you look closely, when he gets back inside, he looks around his house, and it looks like he does never recognize it before. And I didn't catch that any of the times I've watched it because I was still so, like, hyped up from the Ralph killing. But he literally gets inside, and he looks around, and they stay on it a little a couple of seconds later. But he looks like he's never been there before. Also, sometimes when you start to fake or you're injured, your mind starts to play along with it. So, But I do think he has dementia. I really do. What's the weirdest thing you've ever gone to your neighbors and asked for? I don't... You don't do that shit? I have that many neighbors. What, do you live in a fucking uh, American pastoral over here? New York, you don't really... You don't do... Do you? What do you do? The one time I did ask somebody was when I lived in New York. What did you ask for? I went to the neighbor and I asked for sugar. We, oh, we, you were, you're literally one of those? We were making something. Is that, would that have pissed you off? You really asked for a cup of sugar? I said, can we borrow some sugar? We're in a recipe. It's on a timed schedule. Do you have any extra sugar? We ran out. <laughs> so wait. That's so funny. That's not good? No, it's like, that's what you, that's what they say is like the stereotype. You're like, go ask for a cup of sugar. But I'm not that guy. I know. How would I you would, not have sugar? I got into a fight with Katie. We were dating then. She wasn't my wife then. But I was like, I am not asking. So well, if you want the fucking cookies, you got to go ask. And I, it was too late to go down to the store to get it. It was like, oh my you know, God. so I, I knew she was, I knew the neighbor was awake because I could hear that she was awake. Did you bring your cup? Or did you take their bag of No, I, I just asked for her sugar. That's like, so cute. You're so classic. You've never done it. No. I would never ask for ice cream. No. No. Yeah. But that like a spatula. And neighbors have come to us all the time. For what? Random shit. Someone came, I'm not, I kid you not, someone came and said, hey, we live a couple doors down. We're canvassing. We're looking for boxes. Do you have any boxes in your garage? I was like, I think maybe I'm just a weird neighbor. I don't know how many fucking boxes in my garage. You fucking made me get up off the couch to stop watching The Sopranos to answer that fucking question? Got no boxes. Got no fucking boxes in my garage. Got some surgical gloves, though. Yes, and bleach. (laughs) Um, Wrapping things up, Naya, we're back on Tony Mm -hmm. in a Bing shirt. Love this. He wakes up. What's the fuck? He sees Tracy's picture on the mirror. Cluster of different images. Tracy's, not in focus, but Tracy's, we can make it out. Mm -hmm. Okay. The tie back to the university episode. She's also not in her stripper look. She's in like a little fleece, which I thought was... Little angel. Mm-hmm. Little beautiful, gentle creature. Totally. Right? Tracy's the tie back to university. Mm-hmm. And what started him on this whole path with Ralph. Do you think it, it makes Tony feel better about what he did? Vindicated? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he felt that bad about it. I don't think he felt bad about it at all. Yeah. The way that he shrugged it off... He was more concerned about the raid in his eyes than he was about how are we going to dispose of this motherfucker. Yeah. So in some weird way, 
I think he cared more for Payomai mm-hmm. than he did for Tracy. As sociopaths do. But Tracy triggered that, ah, I didn't just do this for Payomai. Yeah. I got her too. Mm-hmm. But she was, sadly, as much as I love Tony, as much as we all fucking love Tony, mm-hmm. Tracy was an afterthought. Yeah. And this proves that. I agree. Still no Chris. Metaphor, Naya. He walked out in a similar way that AJ did earlier in this episode. Mm. Tony embraces him, trying to not let him go into the world. He lets him go and AJ walks away. Mm-hmm. Same thing, this whole back half of the episode, Tony's trying to tell Christopher, stay straight. The drugs will fuck you up. Be my guy. Be the prodigal son. Yeah. But he's gone. He's, he's missing. He's using. Guarantee you, Christopher went, after doing what he just did, he went back to his apartment and he stuck a needle in his foot. For sure. Fair assumption? Yes. Empty dance floor. Yeah. The spotlight. A great, great closing metaphor. Who's Tony going to dance with next? That's what I saw. Interesting. What did you see when you saw the dance floor? I think just because it was just him in the bang, I think it was just it made me feel certain that evil prevails sometimes in the situation and he's the only one there. And I don't know, the spotlight... I guess you could see it that way, like, who's next, but... Who's next yeah. in Tony's life? Yeah. But it's his layer. It's like he's got the, pot, the bada-bing shirt on. Like, this is his, like, hell layer, in my opinion. Like, he's all alone in his home. It's the first time we've ever seen him in the Bing completely alone. That's true. A cover of Ennio Morricone's The Man with the Harmonica from Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West is playing in the background. So good. As an outro to Tony and Ralph's version of a showdown Mm -hmm. at the OK Corral. Yep. I loved Autopsy's observation of the use of a modern version of the song being used in a modern version of a spaghetti western. Totally. Genius. Totally. Genius statement of that write-up. Tony's alone, Naya. You just mentioned it. Each of us is alone in the fucking universe, Mm -hmm. to quote Junior. He just killed a man. More proverbial targets are on his back. I'm slowing down for dramatic effect. I love it. Okay. More proverbial targets are on his back now. More ammunition for the state's case against him. Mm -hmm. He's completely isolated in this moment from both families this thing of ours and Carmela and company. He's looking at himself in the mirror. Yeah. Questioning himself. Who am I? Where am I going? Mm-hmm. Then he pushes the door open to bright blinding light to live another day and do this all over again. He was showing you that he can simultaneously be the vampire, the devil, and the demigod. Let's call it that in a single thing. Light doesn't stop him. It blinds us, but it doesn't stop him. Every time I finish this episode, I do like a ho, just like Christopher, because it's just so heavy. Heavy. And it's not even the penultimate episode or the finale. This is episode fucking nine of season four. Naya, 
Thank you for closing the book on Ralph Cifaretto with me. Of course. Thank you, Vic. See you next time. (laughs) 